Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We had started a series a few weeks ago. It took a, a kind of a break last week when it, since it was our first service in here. It went a little different direction. But I want to get back to our series and finish it up so that we can get going into Easter. And so how many of you have got your wallets this morning? All right. How many of you left them in your car on purpose? No, no, don't raise your hand. Okay, I saw one hand. One truthful guy raised his hand and said it was me. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, you've got your wallet. We started a series a couple weeks ago called What's in Your Wallet? And I dealt with uh, the first issue that I really dealt with specifically was how we deal with our family. Because in your wallet, you basically find everything that's important to you, that really matters to you, is represented in your wallet. Uh, or a man purse, whatever you want to call it. Um, Mine's a little bit bigger than most, but but in here I have pictures of my kids and my wife and my family. They're really important to me. And so I said to you a couple weeks ago that some things needed to happen in our families. I first said that we've got to learn how to cover our families. We have to learn how to go to war for our families and cover our families in prayer and also with the Word of God. Then I said not only must we be willing to cover our families, we've got to learn to communicate with our families. And I talked to you about the fact that most Christian fathers don't spend more than seven minutes a day in meaningful dialogue with their children. And so our children struggle and they they face issues that they feel like they've got nobody to talk to because their dads won't talk to them. And so we said you've got to communicate. Then I went one step further and got a little tense because we talked about you got to be willing to confront and to correct. You remember that? you got to get in their business. you got to be willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. You won't do this. I, I am in charge. I'm obligated by God because I've been given a, a charge over you. I'm not to raise you up. I'm to train you up, right? And so we, we have to correct and confront our children. And finally, I said that we have to copy or we have to reproduce ourselves in our children. That's our obligation. That's what God has called us to do. And so they're so important to us, but there's another element that's represented in our wallet, at least most of our wallets, maybe not all the time. You might want to check your wallet right now. Maybe I should ask this before you gave in the offering. But most of us in our wallets at some point or another, sometimes around the first of the month, sometimes a little later, depends on if the deal went through, whatever, most of us have money in our wallet. Now, it may not be cash money. It may be plastic money. Uh, But most of us in our wallets, we have represented finances. And you just need to understand understand this morning that God knows and understood that finances would be important to us. In fact, Jesus said, said it like this, and I think I alluded to this scripture before, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't get nervous when you start talking about money. You understand that, right? Let me, let me prove you some things out, here, out about that. First of all, did you know that in the Bible, in the canon of Scripture, there are less than, uh, or about 500 verses that deal specifically with prayer? There are less than 500 verses of Scripture that deal with faith. But there are over 2,300 verses of Scripture that deal with specifically how to handle finances. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than anything else when he was on the earth? Did you know that if you go through the New Testament and get all the parables of Jesus and lay them out and begin to study them, that 16 of his 38 uh, parables deal specifically on business principles on how to handle your finances. God is not nervous about money. 
and neither should we, neither should we be about talking. For some reason, we think it's taboo to talk. We can talk about everything else in church except for money. I can talk about your family. I can talk about addiction. I can talk about drugs. I can even go into a, a marriage seminar and talk about sex in the in the church. But for some reason, when we start to talk about money, we get nervous in the church. But I just believe that it's time that we get really bold about finances and about learning from God's word about how to handle our money. So we're going to wrap up this series this morning dealing with our finances. And I'm going to call this Money Matters because believe it or not, money does matter, right? I, I, a few months ago, I prayed this. I don't know how this came into my mind. Just kind of out. And Mike and Tina started ragging me on it because I started praying the old song. I got money on my my mind and my mind on my money. Right? Some of you got your money on your money on your mind all the time. It's all you think about. God understands that. He uh, he understands that. And so we need to learn the principles from him. So I want you to turn in your Bible. This is going to seem like a really odd portion of scripture to read to you, but I want you to turn to First Kings chapter eighteen. We're going to begin there, and, and again, this is going to seem odd, but I, I want you to stick with me. Out of this account that takes place in First Kings, we can learn some things about financial uh, principles that God gives us. It says this, And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and the famine was sore in Samaria. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of Jehovah, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Jehovah. And the God that answers, answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And so Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. Let me just stop right there and, and say this just as a sidebar. Some of us continually call to things that have no voice and no answer. There is only one place. Your job has no voice and no answer. Your boss has no voice and no answer. I understand they sign the check, but they're only the channel. They're not the resource. God is the one that has the voice and the answer. And we answer and we speak to him. He's the only one that can really deal with my issues. They called the one that had no voice and no answer. And they leaped about the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. I love this part. You ought to go read it in the Living Bible. It's hilarious. Have you read it before? Okay, I'll allude to it here in a second, and I'll tell you what it says. But it says, he mocked them, and he said, cry aloud, for he is a God. He is either musing, or is he, or is he gone aside? And in the Living Bible, it says, maybe he's sitting on the toilet. That's what he says to them. He's making, he's talking, trash talk. Did y'all know there's trash talk in the Bible? Elijah's trash talking him. Maybe he's on a journey or pre, per adventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till blood gushed out upon them. And it was so that when midday was passed that they prophesied under the time of the offering of the evening oblation. But there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of Jehovah that was thrown down. Now, another sidebar, sometimes we just need to go back and build an altar. 
For some of you, your altar's been torn down. You need to go back and spend some time praying to God because he can answer and he does have a voice. We just don't talk to him enough. And some of us just need to go back like Elijah and say, you know what? We just need to rebuild this thing. We need to start over. And that's what he does. He, he goes back and he builds the altar, repairs the altar of Jehovah that was thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the, unto whom the word of Jehovah came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Jehovah. And he made a trench about the altar as great as could, would contain about two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water. Listen to what he says, and pour it on the burnt offering. Let me stop right there and say, he must have been a man of faith, because it wasn't burnt yet. I never caught that before. He calls it a burnt offering before it was actually a burnt offering, because he was a man of faith. And sometimes you just got to call some things as though they are, even though they're not. Some of you just need to begin to operate in faith. When you look in this thing and there's nothing in there, some of you just need to operate and say, He is my provider. Whether I see it right now or not, I know He's still who He says He is. Right? You've got to call some things as old they are, even though they're not. That's called faith. Right? And so it says, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran around about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. Then the fire of Jehovah fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. What in the world does that have to do with finances? Well, let me try to see if I can pull it all together to you. You've got to remember what's going on here. I read some of this, uh, or at least around this last week, and talked to you about the condition of the land. They had been in a famine and in a drought for three and a half years. No rain, dry as a bone, no water to spare, right? And you know the story. Elijah comes into this, into this confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and he calls them out, and they do their thing around the altar, and they dance, and they cut themselves, and they go crazy, you know, and, and they just act crazy, and nothing happens, and... Elijah steps up, and with about a 63-word prayer, instantly fire falls, an offering is burnt up, and rain overcomes, and victory is won, and the prophets of Baal are killed by all the people, and the people repent, right? Now, we need to back up. I want you to notice, we like to celebrate that portion of Scripture and, and, and say, God overcame. Yeah, 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 I understand all that. And it's a powerful portion of Scripture. But we need to back up and see what happens right before the fire falls. Because I want you to see what happens. Because Elijah builds this altar, puts the wood on it, puts the burnt offering on it, builds a trench around it. And then guess what he does? He asks for them to bring what? What are they in? A famine. There's a drought on the land. Why? Because there's been no rain for three and a half years. There is a supply shortage of water. And all of a sudden, Elijah shows up and he says, I, I need four buckets of water. I know you don't have any water to spare. I know you haven't had anything to drink. I know your crops are dead. Your children are, are dying of thirst. People around you are struggling to, to get just a drop of water. They'd sell everything they have for a drop of water. And I know you don't have any, but I need you to go find me four buckets of water. And I want you to pour it on the ground. And after they poured it on the ground, he comes back and he says, that's not good enough. Go get four more. And they go get four more buckets of water and they pour it over the offering. And he says, that's not good enough. Go get four more. Twelve buckets of water. You need to understand this morning that Elijah might as well have said, go get twelve buckets of diamonds, 
or go get 12 buckets of gold or go get the keys to your Mercedes bin or go get, go get the deed to your house and throw it on the altar and let it burn up because I'm going to take that and, and destroy it by fire. He asked them to give what they didn't, didn't have. Now, here's the principle. If you take this portion of Scripture and you add it in context with the portion of Scripture in Genesis where God talks to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to take your, your son, your promised seed, the one that I told you that you would have, Isaac, and I want you to bring him and lay him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice. And then you fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus comes into contact with a little widow woman who comes to the, the offering plate and she gives two mites all she had. And then you go into Acts and you read about how Ananias and Sapphira came in and gave an offering to the Lord and lied about how much they gave and God kills them instantly because of their lie. You know what all this is teaching us? This. Hear me. God will often require from you what you want to hold on to the most. I want to hold on to water because I don't have any. No, no, you got to put it on the altar. I want to hold on to my, my, my dollars because I don't have it. No, no, you got you to pour it on. I, I, I've only got one son. No, no, you got to offer what you're trying to hold on to the hardest. God is trying to get you to let go of. He will often require from you what you want to hold on to the most. See, he knows our heart. He knows what we've been taught. I've been taught by the society I live in that I should get everything I can get and hold on to it as tight as I can. I, I shouldn't let anybody have any of it. And God is teaching us just the opposite. He wants us to understand a principle this morning. Are you ready? A deluge is released by sacrifice, whereas stinginess always produces death. Should I say that again? A deluge of, uh, comes of blessing comes upon you when you sacrifice, but stinginess will always produce in you death. And that's not just about money. That's in regard to anything, attitude, the way you live your life. If you live a stingy life, God will not bless you. There's a deluge that God wants to bring upon you. But listen to me. You need to understand something. Sacrifice requires faith. See, God will never let you get to the place in your life where faith is not required. In fact, God is obligated to keep you in a place where faith is required. In fact, let me say it like this. If you're living in a place right now where it doesn't require any faith by you, you're in the wrong place. Because you are out from under God's protection, you're out from under God's covering, and God will ne never let you live in a place where you don't have to have some faith about you so that you pull on Him and need Him. So, we need to learn some lessons about money. Because we put so much of our trust in money. Let me just, let me just lighten the mood right now and tell you right now, one of the things you need to know, the amount you give does not matter doesn't matter a bit feel better come on smile at me feel better the amounts you give in the offering plate does not matter but there are some things that do matter we're going to talk about three things that you have to get right in order to be blessed by God and to live in obedience and to be everything that God wants you to be you've got to do these three these three things right are you ready the first one is this you've got to get the order right See, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. 
God is a God of order. He never does anything out of order. You can go back to Genesis and discover that God teaches us from the very first chapter that he always does things in order. For instance, he didn't create a bird and then say, wait a minute, I got a bird flying around here. I need a sky for the birds to fly. And no, he creates the sky first, then he creates the bird. Right? He doesn't create this fish and it's flopping all over the whatever, the void that was there and say, oh, I need some water. I guess I better. No, no, no. He creates water first. Did you know he didn't create a garden until he first created a man to tend the garden? He always does things in order. We can find that in the Old Testament again in the accounts of Moses and Solomon when they're building the temple. The Bible says that God gave them instructions and on numerous occasions it says and they built it exactly as God commanded. So at the end when they're finished the Bible says that when they stood up to have church they couldn't because the glory of God was so strong. Why? Because they had done it all in order. God is a God of order. If you want to be blessed you've got to learn God's order, His plan, how He wants it done. And when we line up with that and we do it according to his principles and in his order then he will bless us so what is the order the order is this he established it in genesis if you don't believe that go back and read the story of cain and abel the bible says that they were going to bring offerings but one bring brought the first fruits the other did not and his offering was not received. Then we can go on and we continue to read. And you can find the same truth pounded throughout Scripture all the way into the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11 verse 16 says this. If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Teaching us that this, if we get the order right, it sanctifies everything else around us. The first fruit you got to get it in the right order teaching us that this we don't pay our tithes after we pay all of our other bills that's not first fruits we've got to get the order right god demands first if you don't give god what's his first then you are making a statement and the statement is this god you're not first the light company is first the mortgage company is first you know god says listen you might like leftover pizza but God doesn't like leftovers. If you hadn't figured that out, God can't stand leftovers. He demands first. That's why he would say to the children of Israel, bring me the best animal out of your flock first. Bring me the best crop first. Bring me your firstborn first. It's all about the order I read to you last week that Elijah walks into the village of Zarephath and he comes to the little widow and she's going out to prepare a meal. She's going to prepare the meal and die. And he says, feed me first. And when she feeds him first, she got the order right. And because the order was right, her oil didn't go away until the end of the famine. Why? Because the first sanctified the rest and it produced a blessing on the rest. And she was blessed because she got the order right. So we sow our tithes first so listen if you're paying 10 percent right now on all your income but you're writing it at the end of all your other bills you might have the 10 percent right but you're missing the first step in the whole process it's the order you've got to get the order right first because without the order you don't get the blessing i can prove it to you because i just read to you out of proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 listen to what he says honor the lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase and then verse 10 comes along order right because then it says this so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine that is the promise that is released by giving the first fruits 
first. Turn to somebody and say, it's all about order. You got to get the order right. You've got to get the order right. I don't know who pays the bills in your house, but you need to give them instructions. The first check you ought to write is your tithe check before anything else. I, I, listen, I, I, come on now. I'm just, this, this, that's not my law. That's God's law. We want to tap into his supply. That's what he says you have to do. So you've got to get the order right first. The second thing that we've got to get right is the percentage. Oh, it's going to get tight in here now. Anybody want me to take an intermission so you can walk out now? Come on, we've already taken up the offering. Most preachers I know would have done this after. The, they would have done this and then taken up the offering so I can guilt you into giving more. I'm not about that. I am trying to position you for blessing. All right? I'm not playing games with you. This is just truth. You've got to get the order right and you've got to get the percentage right. This is not negotiable. I don't know where we get off thinking we get to negotiate with God like he's some kind of banker. He is not a banker. He is not a loan agent. He won't play games with you. All right, this is not one of those Internet companies you put in a bid for a mortgage and they, you know, you've seen the commercials where they bid against one another and you stand in there and, oh, I don't need to talk to you. Oh, God don't operate like that. He says, here it is, the percentage is 10% period. You know, the truth is, God could have asked for all of it. Oh, come on now. He could have said, I want everything you've got. And you know what? We would have been obligated to give it to him. But he was good enough to us to say, you know what? If you'll just give me 10%, I'll let you live off of 90. It could have been the other way around. And not only will I let you live off the other 90, I will bless the other 90% because you gave me the first 10%. And make it go further than what it would have gone if you'd have had all of it. So we've got to get the percentage right. So let me help you out. I'm not a mathematician, never claimed to be, but let me help you out real careful this morning. Uh, come on, write this down. I know some of you need some, some math, math tips. If you make $100, $10 belongs to God. Not $8.50, that won't open the windows of heaven. Not $9.95, that won't open the windows of heaven. Because Malachi teaches us that when we sow the 10%, and God says we bring all 10% deposited in the storehouse, then I will pour out a blessing. Then I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. How? We give what he requires. It's 10%. Come on now. 8.5% is not window opening formula. 9% is not a window opening formula. 10% is the key that opens up the window. So we've got to get the percentage right now. I know, hear me carefully, I know there's a teaching going around right now that says tithing is an Old Testament principle, and because we're no longer under the law, we don't have to tithe anymore. And you're right if you don't want to be blessed. Uh, come on now, there is teaching in Oklahoma City going on right now that you no longer have to tithe because it's an Old Testament principle. Really? then let's find out what Jesus says about tithing. Because Jesus talks about tithing. You want me, you want me to just tell you what he said? In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he specifically addresses tithing. And this is what he says. He, well, let me give you the, the, the backdrop. He has been invited to eat in a Pharisee's house, and Jesus doesn't stop and wash his hands and his feet first. I kind of like him because I forget to do that sometimes too, you know. And the Pharisee gets mad. I don't ever wash my feet right before I eat. Come on, I'm in my hands, all right? He, he forgot to wash his hands and his feet, and he sits down and he begins to eat. The Pharisee, Pharisee gets mad at him and begins to complain at him, and Jesus scathingly rebukes him, but in his rebuke, he deals with tithes. Listen carefully. Here's what he says. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb 
and you pass over justice and the love of God. Listen, but these ought ye have done and not to leave the other undone. What does that mean? I hope you caught that one word in there because he says you ought to have done this. With one word, he says, he goes back and he grabs everything that happened in the Old Testament and reestablishes it in the New Testament. And this is what he says. He says, Pharisees, you are so legalistic about tithing your mint and your herbs, and you ought to have done that. Did you catch that? Did somebody in here catch it? You should be doing this. He's saying to us, it's right that you do this. You ought to do this. You are obligated to do this. There's nothing wrong with this. Then he says, but there are other things that you ought to be doing as well. He didn't throw the tithe away. He reestablishes it for us and says, you ought to do this. So what we do is we try to justify disobedience. That's what we do. Thank you, Mike. I needed that right there. Because what we want to do is we, we, listen, according to Malachi chapter 3, where do you find the most congregated group of thieves at one time? Is it in prison? No, it's in church. You know, I read this one time, and, and I don't know if it's true, but I think it's probably true. It said this. It said if every American, in every Christian American at one time lost their job, went down and got an unemployment check and began to pay their tithes, if all of them paid their tithes, the church would see a dramatic increase in giving. Now, that doesn't seem possible except for in 2004, less than 9% of born-again Christian believers actually tithe on their income. And then we wonder why we struggle and why we scrape to get by and we don't seem to be blessed. And, and we, we what's wrong? Maybe I ought to go to... Uh, what, Financial Peace University, and yeah, what you ought to do is start tithing. It works every time. So we, we want to negotiate. Hear me this morning. The truth is that some of us tip people. Do I need to finish this statement? Some of us tip people better than we honor our God with our giving. See, some of us will go to a restaurant and we wouldn't dare think about eating and getting up and leaving without blessing the person that waited on us. But we'll come to Passion Church or any other church. It's not just about Passion Church. We'll go week after week and eat and feast and dine. And whether we like the meal or think it was the best meal we ever had or liked how we were served, the truth is we still ate. And we'll get up and walk out of here and never give a thing and never think a thing about it. Listen to me. We tip people better than we tithe to God. We want to negotiate with God. See, some of you got this preconceived amount written down that you just drop in the offering bucket every week. didn't matter if it had anything to do with what you brought into your household this week or not. Some of you could bring in $50,000 this week and your check would still be 100 bucks. That's not 10%. I'm not a mathematician, but I didn't have to get my cell phone out and use the calculator to figure out that that didn't quite work out. See, the truth is we will honor our government more than we will honor our God. We're more scared of the United States government than we are of God of the universe. Because if we miss our taxes, which are coming up, by the way, and you ought to pay them, if we miss that, we will freak out and go stand in line at the post office at midnight to get it in the mail, or we will ask for a, a, a deference or an extension, and then we'll go back and pay penalties and pay back taxes. And yet some of us miss, miss ties for centuries 
Seems like centuries, weeks, months. And we won't go back and make anything up. I was sick. I was out a week, so I didn't pay my tithes. Well, guess what? Make them up. Come on now. I'm trying to position you for blessing. We've got to get the percentage right. I just have some real problem with the math. We've got folks driving $40,000 cars, living in $100,000 houses, giving $10 a week. You do the math. It doesn't work out. We got the percentage wrong. God demands 10%. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hill. This is not a supply issue. He's got all he needs, but he wants your 10% because it signifies to him, you're first and I will obey you. The third thing, we got to get the order right. We got to get the percentage right. Everybody glad I'm off that point? Say amen. The third thing, yeah, come on now. The third thing we got to get right is our attitude. Our attitude has to be right, right? Because the Bible clearly states that God doesn't just like a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever looked up what that means? A hilarious giver. One that will give when it doesn't even make any sense. Have you ever been there? Have you ever given when it made no, I mean, you you try to figure it out in your mind, it made no logical, analytical sense that I would give this. I can't afford to give this. That has to become our attitude. Do what? Can't afford not to. You're still in my last statement. Don't steal the last statement of my sermon, but he's right. You can't afford not to. I'm going to prove it to you, all right? Oh, you're preaching my message, man. Go. See, our attitude has to change. See, we, we've been giving. A lot of us have this attitude, and I don't understand it. I have to give. That's not cheerful giving. There's nothing cheerful about that. I have to pay taxes, all right? You don't have to be excited about that. I'm good with that. You still have to pay them, but you, don't, you have to pay that. But our attitude towards God be, should change from I have to give to I get to give, right? Listen, prosperity preaching has corrupted us. We think God's a genie. We think there's this magic formula where we give and it rubs God just right and so we get the three magical wishes. And so we, we play, we try to play God. I just want to tell you this morning, God won't be played. You can give with the wrong motives and it won't produce anything. With the wrong attitude, it won't produce anything. And we, we play this game with God. If I give the right, the magical number, then you are obligated to bring a Rolls Royce up into my driveway by next week this time or I'm going to quit giving like this. And guess what? He never responds. At least he's never responded like that for me. I don't have a Rolls Royce. So what's the deal? Our attitude has to change. Here's what our attitude should be. I give to get. Here's the difference. I give to get to give again. That is our attitude. That when God, when I give, I lay it before God, understanding that he's going to bring it back to me, according to Luke, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So why? So that I can hoard it and grow my bank account? Absolutely not. So that I can release it again and say, I'll give that back because, God, this was from you in the first place. Our attitude has to change. Listen, he reveals his, his desire for us in the story of the widow with the mites. Listen to what Mark chapter 12, verse 44 says out of the Message Bible. Here's the attitude God is looking for. Are you ready? Listen carefully. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave 
her all. See, the amount does not matter. It's the attitude. In other words, what here, here's where we're going to get to this morning. It's what I am challenging you to is equal sacrifice. Not equal giving. Because what's a sacrifice for you may not be a sacrifice for me. If I give what you gave, I may not even blink twice. It may mean absolutely nothing to me. Maybe that was just a cup of coffee at Starbucks for me, but it was everything that you had. So then what God is requiring of me is to bring equal sacrifice. What really matters to me and lay it at his feet. So we got to get the order right. We got to get the percentage right. Come on, you 7.5% givers, get your percentage right. 10.10%, nothing less. You got to get it there. Get out of the habit of just writing that same old check all the time because you've always done it. Do the math. And then third, we got to get our attitude right. Now, let me tell you my testimony. I've discovered that you can't outgive God and you can't afford not to tithe. I've only messed up one time and I learned my lesson well. I was a sophomore in college. You know, college students can't afford to tithe. That's a lie, by the way, from the pit of hell. That is our attitude. That when God, when I give, I lay it before God, understanding that He's going to bring it back to me according to Luke, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So why? So that I can hoard it and grow my bank account? Absolutely not. So that I can release it again and say, I'll give that back because God, this was from you in the first place. Our attitude has to change. Listen, he reveals his, his desire for us in the story of the widow with the mites. Listen to what Mark chapter 12, verse 44 says out of the Message Bible. Here's the attitude God is looking for. Are you ready? Listen carefully. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. See, the amount does not matter. It's the attitude. In other words, what here, here's where we're going to get to this morning. It's what I am challenging you to is equal sacrifice. Not equal giving, because what's a sacrifice for you may not be a sacrifice for me. If I give what you gave, I may not even blink twice. It may mean absolutely nothing to me. Maybe that was just a cup of coffee at Starbucks for me, but it was everything that you had. So then what God is requiring of me is to bring equal sacrifice, what really matters to me, and lay it at his feet. So we got to get the order right. we got to get the percentage right. Come on, you 7.5% givers, get your percentage right. 10.10%, nothing less. you got to get it there. Get out of the habit of just writing that same old check all the time because you've always done it. Do the math. And then third, got to get our attitude right. Now, let me tell you my testimony. I've discovered that you can't outgive God and you can't afford not to tithe. I've only messed up one time, and I learned my lesson well. I was a sophomore in college. You know, college students can't afford to tithe. That's a lie, by the way, from the pit of hell. Come on now. That's just a lie. We buy into some stupid lies. and We want to put our ramifications on God and say, here are the barriers. You can't, uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. And so I, I bought into that lie. I was a sophomore. I was working a part-time job at the Waterford. I was a busboy. High-dollar work. And I didn't feel like I could afford to tithe. And so I went for about a semester, well, a little over half a semester without paying any tithes. 
And suddenly some things started happening in my life. First of all, I started to have some relationship problems. That wasn't necessarily unusual in college for me, but it seemed to get worse. But some other things, some tangible things started to happen that had never happened to me. I drove this 1968 Mustang, and yeah, don't get all excited. It wasn't all that until later, all right? I bought it with some used tires on it because I didn't have the money to buy new tires. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and this is no joke, in the span of about two weeks, it seemed like every time I pulled out of the parking lot of the university, I would blow a tire. Just boom, and I'd have to go buy a $20 tire and put it on. Boom, and I think I went through six or seven tires. Unbelievable. I've never had anything else happen like this in my life. I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it was. I just didn't want to admit what it was. I had some silly things happen, like a watch broke that I knew I couldn't afford to, to fix, all this kind of crazy stuff. And suddenly there, we came to a break in the semester, and I went home. And fortunately, I have a very perceptive mother and father. And as I began to whine to my dad about the fact that I was struggling financially and my tires keep blowing and, and my girlfriend keeps going nuts, and, or maybe, that, um, maybe it was me, I don't know, and my watch keeps messing up. All the, she wasn't my girlfriend, by the way. But there you go. Got to clean that mess up real quick. <laughs> and I'll never forget my dad in the living room stopped me, and he asked me. I know it was the Holy Spirit because of the way he asked me. He looked at me, and he said, Steve, have you paid your tithes? <clears throat> Got to go back to school, Dad. See, no. Instantly I was convicted, and I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you know what we got to do? And I said, I'm afraid to ask. And he took me back into the Old Testament, and I didn't even know this was in there. And he began to show me that there is a principle that if you don't pay tithes, you've got to go back and make it right. But guess what? You've got to add to it time and a half. And we sat down, and we figured up what my meager income would have been over a half a semester, and it wasn't much except for the fact it was all I had. And we paid time and a half, one lump sum, time and a half, everything that I had not paid. And something happened. Things changed. I went on a preaching excursion to Amarillo, Texas. Went down there and blew a tire. And the preacher came to me and he said, I got this tire guy in my, my, my church, and if you'll let me, I'll, I'll hook up with him. They gave me $150 for driving all the way to Amarillo, Texas and preaching. And this guy came to me and he said, you know what? All your tires are in pretty bad shape. I've got a set of used tires that I will sell you for 125 bucks. Thanks a lot. You know, but I did it. Four tires for 125 bucks. The tread wasn't that good on them, but I figured, you know, we'll get them all at the same stage. We'll be all right. This is no exaggeration. No, I'm not making this up. This is as sure as I'm standing right here. This is true. I graduated from college in 1990. I put those tires on in 1989. And after we'd been married, we got married in 90. We'd been married for a little over two years. And I still had the same tires on that car. I finally decided it was time to change it when I was going down a wet road and did a 360 right in the middle of the road because it was so slick, right? But the principle is, is that what seemed to mess up all of a sudden, now because I got the principle right, I got the percentage right, I got the order right, I got the attitude right, suddenly God began to bless me. I, I found a new relationship and it worked out really good. <laughs> Come on, give me a high five right there. I just, I, just got out of the, I just got out of the hole right there, buddy. Just cleaned that one up real good. Woo! Come on now, I found out this. You can't afford not to give to God. Now, 
I wasn't even going to do this, but I'm going to do this right now. I'm just going to tell you the truth. We've been blessed. The church has been blessed. We have had people help us like crazy. The conference that we're part of, I'm not going to get all the denominational stuff. I, don't, I know you don't care, and that's fine. And that's, but I am thankful that they helped. We could have done this building without them. We couldn't have done this church without them. They have helped us above and beyond what we could have ever dreamed of. And I'm so thankful for that. But the truth is that we got enough folks now that without them, we ought to be doing really good. And we're doing great. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you that under the sound of my voice, there are some folks that aren't helping a lick. Come on now. I'm being real. I challenged my leaders. We went on a leadership retreat in January, and I told them I was going to hold them accountable in this area because I believe that for, in order for you to be a leader, you are held to higher standards, and if you're not tithing, you will not be a leader at this church, including me. And I opened it. I said, if you want to come look at our checkbook, it's the first check we write. It goes out. It's 10%. You can do the math. We will operate that way. I want to challenge you. Why am I challenging you like this morning? This, this morning? Because I want you to be blessed. And to be blessed, you've got to do what God says. So this is what we're going to do. Guys, you can start handing them out. I'm giving you 100 bucks this morning. All right, it's not a real 100 bucks. Come on. We're not doing that good. Come on. <laughs> Now, I want you to get this because there's a challenge that this is going to present to you. If you try to use this at McDonald's, you're going to be in trouble because my name is on it. Then I guess I'll be in trouble. I don't know. Here's the challenge. We are at the end of February, basically. I have discovered this in my own life. 100% of 10% always works. Did you catch that? 100% of 10% always works. So this is what I want to challenge you. And if it doesn't work, you can quit doing it. Now, you won't be blessed, but you can quit doing it. And then you can go to God and blame it on me. Here's the challenge. Over the next 10 months, come on now, over the next 10 months, now to the end of the year, I am challenging you to give 100% of 10%. And it, I promise you, it will work. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this $100 bill, and I want you to put it in your wallet. And I want you to carry it everywhere you go. Come on, get your wallets out right now. We're going to do this together. Stick it right where you can see it. Put it by all the other hundreds you've got in your wallet. I didn't have any problem with that. I didn't have any of those delays. Man, that's the only one. Come on. Put it next to all your $1,000 bills and all that stuff, but don't get it mixed up now. <laughs> I want you to put it right there in your wallet so that every time you open up this wallet to pay a bill, to eat at McDonald's, to buy yourself something at Sonic, you are vividly reminded that you've made a commitment over the next 10 months that you are going to give 100% of 10%. Malachi says, try me in this. How many of you have ever tested God? Come on now. He always comes through. You can't afford not to bless him and to do what he says. Try him. If you've never tried tithing, now's a good time to start. If you tried it and slacked off, now's a good time to make it up times one and a half. Come on, go back and make it up. 
Get it right. Get the attitude right. And I promise you, I can stand up here with no doubt in my mind and say, if it doesn't work, stop. But you've got to give it time. Ten months. Give it ten months and see what God will do. Come on, stand with, you, with me to your feet this morning. What's in your wallet? What is in your wallet? Get the order right. Get the percentage right. Get your attitude right. See, some of you need your attitude adjusted right now because you don't like the fact I talked about money in church. Come on. If I told you how to get rich in church, you'd listen. I just did. You're right. You, you just got the principles. To, there's a di- did you know there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy? And I just taught you how to be wealthy. There's a huge difference. And I want you to have the wealth of God at your disposal. How do we tap into that? We obey Him. So get your wallets back out. Come on, I didn't say put them up. We're not going to, come on, ushers? No, I'm joking. We're not going to take up an offering. I'm playing with you. I'm not going to guilt you into it. This is an attitude thing. We're not going to give an offering again. I want you to get your wallet out. In this wallet is represented everything that I care about in life. The most, the most important things of my life are represented right here. My family and my finances. And some of you need a miracle in both this morning. I, I think I'm going to say that one more time. Some of you need a miracle in both this morning. And so we're just going to believe right now. Come on, get your wallets up, and we're just going to lay these at God's feet right now. Father, you know our hearts. You know all the concerns of our life. God, I just lay everything, the things that concern me the most, my family and my finances, I commit them to you this morning. They're yours. God, I obey you and my family. I I take and I become the priest of my household, and I cover my children and my family in prayer and with your word. God, I will communicate to them. I will confront and correct them. And I will copy myself in them because that's that's what you've called me to do. Put a hedge of protection around about those that I love, that I care about. Father, if there are families in this house this morning that are struggling, that are dealing with difficult issues, broken families, splintered families, families that are in pain and in turmoil, then, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus right now you'd produce peace in them and bring health to them. And Father, I also bring all my finances, everything that I have, every good gift that comes, comes from you. And Father, I thank you for financial provision. I pray, I'm thankful that you didn't leave that out of the list, that you're my Jehovah Jireh. And I'm so thankful. And Father, this morning I pray that I would learn to get the order right, that I'd get the percentage right, and that I'd get my attitude right. Father, I pray that this challenge that I've given my folks this morning would stick in their spirit and in their heart. God, it would overcome them. And every time they open their wallet up and they see that $100 bill, they would instantly be reminded that for the next 10 months, I'm trying God. I'm testing Him to see if He'll honor His Word. And God, I pray that you would begin to open up a window of heaven and pour out a blessing that cannot be contained. God, I'm praying for financial provision to be made where there's been lack. If it's like the water that we pour out and we just can't hardly stand it, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, provision would overtake us. Father, I'm praying for promotions and for raises, not so that we can get and hoard, but so that we can get and give again. Let our attitude change. And Father, we'll worship you.
praise you and will give you the glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Keep your wallet up real quick. I want you to say this with me. I will try God. Come on, try him. He's good to his word. He's faithful to his word. And man, I was going to have a special guest for you this morning, and he overslept. So we'll see if we can't get him back. You won't want to miss it. But you guys join us next week. We're going to start a brand new series called Taking Care of Business that will take us right up to Easter. Be sure and help us pack the house out next week and do this. Try God. He'll come through. You're dismissed. Love on somebody as you leave this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.